Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com? Here is this week's teaching. Uh, I want to talk specifically uh, today about leadership. More specifically, I want to talk about being a servant leader. And I don't want to just say you should be a servant leader. I kind of want to give you some next steps. Like, what does that look like? And, and what specific areas are we invited to be servant leaders in? And so that's kind of where we're going with the message today. Uh, when was the first time someone ever asked you to lead something? And I'm not saying your parents asked you to make your own bed or uh, some, I'm saying like somebody put you in charge of something. You, you had some leadership. For me, it was uh, when I was in high school. And you, you know how when you look back on your life, you can say that event was a turning point that changed some things in me. Or, or if that event didn't happen, I would be a different point person today. For me, that event was when I was in high school and the worship pastor at our church uh, resigned. Some things happened and, and he left, but there was not another worship pastor to take his position. And because I was kind of his right-hand man as a high schooler, then they asked me if I would lead worship until they found a new worship pastor, which turned out to be a long time. And so I spent my senior year of high school leading worship at the church that I grew up in. And that was a tremendous amount of leadership responsibility. And it, it enabled me to get some experiences at a young age that a lot, a lot of people didn't get. It's one of the reasons why I am so passionate about getting teenagers involved in ministry early and often as much as we possibly can, because I saw it play such a positive role in my life. One of the ways that it played a positive role is the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University was the guest speaker at the church that I grew up in one morning when I was leading worship. And he was brand new to the school. And one of the first things that he decided to do when he got to that school was to transition it from choir-led traditional music in their chapels there at the school, transition it to contemporary student-led worship. And that was a controversial decision, and not everybody agreed with that decision. And so in that, he decided he needed some good uh, young people who could lead worship for the chapels there at the school. So after I led worship, he got up and he spoke that Sunday morning. And after he spoke, he came over to me and he said, Mike, where are you going to college? I said, well, it was actually just a few weeks away from the beginning of school. I was enrolled at Mid-America Nazarene University. I was going to go there and, and be a music major. And, and uh, he, I said, so I'm going to Mid-America. He said, no, you're not. I was like, excuse me? No, you're like tall and good looking and a doctor and all that stuff, but I think I have free will. And, uh, and he said, I'll give you a full ride scholarship to come to Oklahoma Wesleyan University. I was like, you're right. I'm not going to Mid-American Nazarene University. <laughs> and so I ended up going uh, just not long after that to Oklahoma Wesleyan University, and I started leading worship in their chapels. And what I didn't realize is that I was stepping into what we now call the worship wars. Anybody ever heard of the worship wars before? This was kind of this period where we, tra tra there was this transition between traditional music, 
uh, or choir music or, or primarily hymns to more contemporary. We'd add drums in the music and there was this big fight because Christians can be petty and stupid sometimes. And so Christians got petty and stupid and started fighting over music styles. How immature is that? It's incredibly immature, but that's what we were doing. And so as a freshman in college, I was thrust into the middle of this battle. Largely, it was being had between the president of the university and the choir teacher. And I was a music major. And so I kind of had a stake, and I was kind of in both circles. And so I started leading worship, and it was a little contentious. I didn't know how contentious it was until finally my professor, the choir teacher at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, decided to post a long blog post titled, Mike Wilson and his repetitive music. And he went on to criticize his freshman student for his worship style. And I was a brave soldier and pretended like nothing was bothering me and and I was okay with this, except the reality was I was not okay with it. I'd go back to my dorm room at night and I would just bawl. I was terrified. I, I was fighting a battle that I was not prepared to fight, that I, that I didn't have an experience, enough experience to fight, and it was just terrifying. But in hindsight, now I look at, back at that, and it was a much longer story than what I just described it as. I look back at that, and I realized there was actually something in that that was very good for me. Because what it forced me to do was take my mind off of myself in that season and put my mind on a mission or on a goal. I was a part of a team and and we were fighting a battle. It was a dumb battle, but we were fighting a battle in that season. Have you ever noticed that in the most like hinge points of our life, the big important moments of our lives, we make it all about us? It's like, on, on your birthday, you are the center of attention. You're the most important thing. I think that's exactly the opposite of what holidays and big events are supposed to be in our lives. Holiday means holy day. We're supposed to be like reflecting on God and reflecting on bigger, more important things than ourselves. I started doing weddings and a, a, a phrase that I heard say, said over and over again on what wedding days is, this is your day. It's all about you. You should get whatever you want. No! That is like the opposite of what we are supposed to do on these big important days. If it's an important day, then we should be bringing our minds' attention to something more important than just us. We should be bringing to mind the things that are actually valuable. And in this season, I was on a mission. I was fighting on a team. It wasn't really about me. It was more about accomplishing a goal. And that season changed me. And I've learned from that event and many other events throughout my life that leadership will change you. It's kind of like how you learn more by teaching than just by learning. If you're sitting in a classroom and hearing somebody teach, you learn a little bit. But if you are the one who is actually responsible for doing the teaching, you are changed much more. You learn much more because leadership changes you. When you are a leader, you have to do things like take risks, go out on a limb, and, and, and there's either going to be good consequences or bad consequences, and you're going to have to deal with either way it comes, right? Leadership is difficult. 
And it was in this season that I learned that this leadership was going to require me to make some sacrifices. To not just get to focus on myself like all the other freshman college students were doing. And I'd like to be very clear about what I'm asking you to lead today. To be a sacrificial leader. I'm not just saying this is just a general principle because it'll make your life better. That's true. But I think if this is true, then we should be intentional about what we lead or what we sacrifice for. Over the years here at New Life, since I've been here, we've, I think we've developed a very distinct culture. We have differentiated ourselves and, and some things, some intentional, some unintentional, have just kind of become the core of who we are. They have become our identity. And so in a recent staff meeting, our, our staff sat down and said, let's describe who we have become. Let's just reflect on what we value and what, we, what we're seen as and what people think of when they look at us. What is our identity? What makes us distinct? And in this staff meeting, we, we came up with an acronym. Is acronym the right word? I think it is. We are the bride is the acronym we came up with. And the acronym is fitting because the church is the bride of Christ. There's a lot of passages in Scripture that refer to the church as the bride of Christ. One of them is this one, Ephesians 5. This is the famous one. A husband is the head of his wife, and Christ is the head of the church. So we're doing a metaphor thing here in relationships. He is the Savior of his body. Jesus is the Savior of his body, the church. Now, every time we read this passage, we've got to do all the trigger warnings. This is not saying that men are superior to women, but I don't have time for the whole male-female speech today. I more want to focus on what, are the, what is the male-female re, relationship being used as a metaphor for in this? Well, the bride in this scenario is meant to illustrate the church. So focus in on that part of it. What is the church? As the church submits to Christ... So you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. We are the bride of Christ, so we submit to Christ. And then what does Christ do in return? For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Sacrificial. It's not about me. It's not about my goals. It's not about my dreams. He gave up his life for her. Why? To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Washed by the cleansing of God's word. Christ loved us so much that he gave his life for us while we were still rebelling, while we were still sinning. Why? To sanctify us, to change us, to make us something that we are not already. Not so that we could just come as we are and stay the way we are. He sacrificed his life so that we could come as we are and become who he created us to be, to change us. Okay, so here's the acronym. We're the bride. The B of bride is becomers. We are becomers. We don't just come, we Become. We come as we are. Why? So that we can become someone that we are not yet. The great news of the Christian faith is that you are not stuck the way you are. 
as the world keeps telling us. Just be proud of yourself. Look deep within. No, don't be proud of who you are. Become somebody better than who you are. And if you will allow God, he will change you. And as becomers, we take responsibility for our individual progress toward becoming the people that God created us to be. We don't expect to be spiritually spoon-fed. All the knowledge and and all the information that we need, if you spoon-feed it to me correctly, then I'll become who... No, we take responsibility. It's not the pastor's responsibility or the teacher's responsibility or the life group leader's responsibility to make me who I was created to be. I do it. I am on a journey. I pursue what he has for me in my life. We actively follow him as he sanctifies us. We adopt the spiritual disciplines in our our lives. We do hard things. We are the bride. The R of bride is real. We are real. We don't wait until our life is perfect before we start leading. We don't wait until we our life is perfect before we become open and honest about what God is doing in our lives. We testify to our current progress, to our experiences. We allow what God has done in our lives be a testimony to help others in their maturity, in their growth. Because we believe that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. So when we are tempted to hide our past, to hide our pain. Instead, we let God use them to heal other people. We give those things sacrificially. We are real. We practice authentic relationships. I just used the word authentic twice, didn't I? We practice authentic relationships with authenticity and joy. In fact, the way we created this list was we came up with Uh, or this, yeah, this acronym is we came up with a list of people that we felt like best represented what a new lifer looks like. Like when you think of new life, who do you picture? What type of person do you picture? And we made a list of people. And then we went through the list and we said, okay, what are the most distinctive characteristics about these people? And so then we attached characteristics or or habits or uh, ways of living life to these people. And then we narrowed them all down. We looked at what are the things that all all of these people have in common. And these are how we came up with these. There were five things that pretty easily rose out of the list of what a new life or what our culture looks like. We're real. This is who we are. This is not just a goal we hope to attain. This is who we are. We're honest, open, and transparent about it. And we believe God has called us to it. The eye of bride is we are intentionally sacrificial. We, in, we say intentionally because we think effective generosity requires a plan. Effective generosity is not just something that we happen to do when we feel like it or when the emotional dots all connect. We have a plan to live generously, to sacrifice for other people. Intentionally sacrificial, the generosity of our time, talents, and treasures reveals its proof of the maturity of our faith. The more sacrificial we are, the more mature we are. The more selfish we are, the more immature we are. I believe sacrifice is the primary evidence of spiritual maturity. 
Generosity is the evidence that proves our love for other people and it proves our love for God. It is our primary commandment to love. And then that love requires us to sacrifice. You sacrifice, every one of you, sacrifice for people when you really love them. We are D, demonstrating grace. And this one, if we were just putting them in order of like most distinctive, this one would have been first. But then it wouldn't have spelled the word bride, so that didn't work. So we put it here. I've been criticized more for this one than any of the other ones. In fact, for this one, we've been we've received quite a bit of attack lately. That we are too graceful. As humans, we are very tempted to be judgmental. It's, we have to actively fight against the desire to judge others who are not like us or who have committed sins that we have not committed. But we resist that temptation. We fight that temptation. We see it as the enemy. We refuse to give in to the desire to judge people who have committed sins that we have not committed or, or do things that we don't do or, or agree with or vote for people we don't agree with. We resist that temptation and we choose instead to love because that's what Christ did for us. We demonstrate grace. Because we have received grace, we give grace and we invite people to come as they are. Jesus surrendered himself to people who he knew were sinners, people he knew would turn their backs on him. And why did Jesus pick a bunch of screwed up people to be his disciples and followers? It's not because they were good people. It's because they knew they weren't good people. That's the type of people God wants. Not the ones who think they are great, but the ones who know they are not great. Because it is when we choose to admit our weakness that he can make our weaknesses his strength. And he can do through us what we can never do in ourselves. If we are his bride, then we are gracious because he is gracious. We are one. And we adopt his nature as our own. Because judgmentalism proves pride. Pride is sin. If I am judgmental, it shows that I think that I am better than the people that I am judging. But God is very clear. All of us are sinners. All of us are in need of grace. None of us are good. We are all desperately in need of God's grace. And the E of bride, we are engaging of the next generation. We love our kids. And we are not okay with the idea of turning their, their backs on God as soon as they go off to college. So we will do everything we possibly can to lead them into a lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ. Because God's kingdom will continue to reach the next generation, our style is intentionally current and we focus on discipling young people. Not because it's our preference. Not because we like the music. Not because we like the style. But because we are going to do whatever we can do 
to reach the next generation. And this goes along with the intentionally sacrificial point. We intentionally sacrifice our desires because we have a more important mission. Can I tell you about one person who I think is doing this really well? Watch this. Everybody know what we're looking at? This is the security camera in the purple room. The purple room is our volunteer classroom. And so because so many of our volunteers, we ask volunteers to serve one and worship one. So you either you serve in first service and then you worship in second service or you worship in first service and you serve in second service one way or the other. And because of that, many of our volunteers' kids are here for two services. And we want those kids to not have to sit through the same service twice. And so we have a purple room that is just for volunteers. We call it the purple room because it's purple. And this is where they go for one of the services. And so what you're looking at is the security camera from last Sunday in the purple room. And uh, by the way, how awesome is our next-gen department that we have the most secure facilities of any church I've ever been around. Uh, And whenever there is an incident in one of these classrooms, in one of the services, we go back and we watch the security camera just to be safe, just to see what happened. We just want to make sure. And our volunteers know that these are in there and Um, most of the time when we use these, it's because we want to go just see how awesome our volunteers are and how they go above and beyond. Well, the volunteer that you're seeing in the corner of this room is Tim. He's in the room right now, but I won't point him out because he'll be embarrassed. Uh, Tim is, my kids, when I ask, do you want to uh, go to the purple room for second service? They say, is Tim in there? Like just love Tim. They, They hope so much that Tim will be in the, now I'm not, all of our Purple Room volunteers are great, but they love Tim. And Tim is in the Purple Room last Sunday and uh, something happens. And so we go back and watch the video. Can anybody predict what's about to happen? Did you just see that big block of, that big tower of blocks? Uh, that Carter, so we got Carter and Lucy, don't play it yet, but we got Carter and Lucy. Carter is over here and then Lucy is over here. Brother and sister, uh, this is, Grant and Lindsay's little kids. And Carter has built this awesome tower that he thinks he is going to go all Godzilla on and knock over. And this is what happens. Can we rewind it? Can you do it again? Yeah. Watch Lucy. Keep your eye on Lucy. Oh, did it hit Lydia? Yeah. No, it hit Lucy it hit. in the head. Lucy. You okay? Come here. Come here. Can I ask if I want snacks? I want snacks. Come here. We got blood. Susan? Hang on. Carter, don't worry. Tim is a servant leader. He's recognized the importance of and value of sacrificing his time and his energy for the next generation. I I am pretty sure that this is not what he would choose to do with his free time. Maybe he would. I don't know. 
But he's decided this is worth sacrificing for. This is worth me not getting what I would prefer to do with my time because I see value in it. And that is our culture. We sacrifice because we believe God has called us to a mission that is worth sacrificing for. Now, none of us have all these five attributes perfectly. But what we choose to do is to continue to become the people that God created us to be, called us to be, and we do it sacrificially. So, in addition to being this culture, we've decided we're going to do three things in order to keep being this culture. Number one, we're going to define it. That's what we've just done. Number two, we're going to embody it. That means all of us are on board. We've decided that we are going to adopt this as our mission. We're going to intentionally embody it. And then number three, we're going to defend it. When someone else comes in and says we're too seeker sensitive or the music is too loud or someone says we talk too much about grace or too much about Jesus, we say no. This is who we're called to be. This is what we believe God has called us to do. We will defend the mission. We will fight for the mission because it's who we are. So what's the point? This is a baton pass. This is not Mike's mission. I never sat down to say this is who we're going to become, but this is what God has turned us into. So this is a baton pass. It's up to all of us. Spread the culture. Embody it. Defend it. There will become a time when you won't want to. Your flesh will want to do one thing and scripture will tell you to do a different thing. But we lay our preferences on the altar and we choose to sacrifice them to God and serve him. Think about the famous question. What would you do today if you knew that you were going to die tomorrow? You realize this exact scenario happened to Jesus? He knew the day before. He's going to his death. And what did Jesus choose to do with his last day? We read the story in John. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus knew that Jesus was, Judas was about to betray him, so Jesus washed his feet anyway. What worse sin is there? Yet Jesus is washing his feet. That's our culture. That's who we are called to be, like Christ, to be servant leaders. God, I thank you that you have not just created us and left us. Instead, you created us on purpose with a purpose. And God, I pray that we would have the courage to be sacrificial leaders, not to get what's in it for us, but to be a part of a bigger mission that is greater than us. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.